I just feel so lonely. I wonder if she's ever gonna I just text me back. So much. Why am I so anxious all the time? What should I have for dinner today? I'm so worried just about breathe. that job interview. Just breathe. I really should work out today. I just can't catch a break. Would you love me? Just if try to really relax. Me? I can't just keep breathe. doing this. Just breathe. I just, I just feel so lonely. I'm so worried. Why should I have for dinner? Why am I so anxious? Just breathe. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing? It is spring break. Obviously, you and I did not go anywhere um, to enjoy spring break, but I love the backdrop of the song we just sang. I was a little bit distracted from singing the song by admiring that sort of flyover drone view of this beautiful forest. Anyone else distracted just a little bit by the color of those trees in the background? Okay, I'm the only one. That's all right. That's all right. I'm a little distracted by most things, so that's, that's no different. I'm going to move this out of the way so I don't trip over it. If it's available to trip over, I will trip over it. We are finishing up today a series called Headspace. Um, and in Headspace, we have, we've looked at the, uh, the different ways God has given us to process information, usually negative information, and, and align it with his truth. So, so in, the, in the process of this series, we've looked at the, 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 what it takes to, to recognize the lies of the enemy. It requires that we know God's word. So we recognize the lies of the enemy when they occur, and then we replace them with God's truth. So we lean into God's word to, to do both of those things. And then we reframe it. And reframing is this process where we begin to see our story from God's perspective. And God speak to us, speaks to us from his word to help us reframe. But he also uses people, the, the body of Christ. We are, we are brought into this family, not just for heaven, but so that we were brought into this life for life on earth as well. He surrounded us with people, uh, people who can speak God's word and truth and faith into our lives and help us see what we're going through from the perspective of God. And then today we're looking at the last phrase. It's called rejoice. We're looking at the value of rejoicing. We're going to look at an, a, a guy in the, in the Old Testament named uh, Jehoshaphat. Any of you guys familiar with Jehoshaphat's story? I'm hoping not many of you because I get a chance to, to share why I love this guy so much. Jehoshaphat was a king of Judah, and Judah at the time was um, part, of, part of two kingdoms. So there was the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. The nation of Israel was divided, sort of like north and south here in the U.S. during the Civil War. So in the north and the south, there's Judah and there's Israel, and both had kings and both had storylines that God spoke into. If all of that is confusing to you, I'm going to encourage you. At 11 o'clock, I mean, I'd hate to lose you here, but uh, Alex and Melissa Flick are teaching a survey through the Old Testament, um, just going chapter by chapter through the Old Testament, learning about the history of God's people as recorded there. And if you, find that, if you would find that interesting, I'm going to encourage you to take him up on it and, and be part of that. Jehoshaphat was a good king. There weren't many of them. Um, he was a good king. He wasn't a perfect king. No, no king is perfect, I suspect. I know. Only Jesus. Just as there are no perfect kings, there are no perfect people, there's no perfect families, there's no perfect parents. Um, we looked at that last week in light of trauma. Things that happen in our lives are just hard, and how our brain processes that. So, so Jehoshaphat was not a perfect king by any means, but he was a good king. Second Chronicles says that his heart was devoted to the ways 
of the Lord. And that meant that in a time of crisis, when there was a problem, rather than reverting to the, the worship of idols or, or the, the pagan gods, Jehoshaphat would turn to the God of gods, Jehovah. Jehoshaphat worshiped and listened to God, and, and he was given reason time and time and time again to rejoice. So he's a, good, he's a good person to look at today as we close this series down, because Jehoshaphat can teach us some important lessons on the power of rejoicing as we experience the transformation of our minds and, tr- and hearts and bring them into alignment with God's truth. So if you've got your Bibles with you today, I'm going to encourage you to open them up to 2 Chronicles. Now, 2 Chronicles is in the first portion of your Bible. So if you open your Bible halfway, you're probably going to land at Psalms or Job or Proverbs. Chronicles is closer to the front. So you're going to move backwards, and you're going you're to see Job, you're going to see Nehemiah, and then you're going to see some Chronicles. There's a First Chronicles, and there's a Second Chronicles, and these are Chronicles or the accounts of their historical accounts uh, of the kings. If you go too far, you'll run into the first and second kings book. That's the story of the kings. But Chronicles is their sort of their archived history. We're going to be looking at Second Chronicles, chapter twenty. Um, and so I'm going to pray. You guys can continue to look while I'm praying because the Bible says to watch and pray. So it's all right if you keep your eyes open as you're looking for Second Chronicles. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for the totality of it and what you teach us in there. So today as we open up uh, both the New Testament and the Old Testament, we pray that you would speak and remind us of some important truths, particularly around the idea of rejoicing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A guy named Craig Rochelle is a pastor. I don't know if he coined the phrase, but he certainly made it more popular. He says this, our lives move in the direction of our strongest thought. Our lives move in the direction of our strongest thought. In fact, um, another way of saying that would be what we think about determines where we end up. And so if we're thinking well that's great. We talked about the Philippians filter a couple of weeks ago. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. And if you're thinking about those things, that's the direction your life is going to go. So, yeah, if you're running towards Philippians 4, then that's great. However, if your strongest thought (laughs) is not that, and it's leading other places into the anxious, the, the fearful, the angry, the false, the irrational, then that's where your life is going to end up. It's going to end up in that space. Our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. I would say the vast majority of us here this morning are here because like Jehoshaphat, we, we, we want our lives to move in, in a good direction, in a God direction, not in the direction of, the, of sort of the, the lies and the fuzzy words of false prophets and false gods. We want our lives to align with truth. So that's all well and good, and we can be claiming and living in truth, everything is sunshine and lollipops, until something happens. For me... It's always a text, and the text goes like this. Uh, Tim, can we meet this week? Now, depending on who that text is from, I can have a lot of different reactions. 
can we meet this week? It's like, oh, I get to I get to help someone solve a problem. I get to be helpful. If it's from um, a friend, if it's from my boss, if it's from my sister, <laughs> it's like, oh no, it's something either related to ministry or travel business, or family, it's like, oh, it's probably nothing good. Probably nothing good. That's where my mind goes to immediately. And when I get that text, hey, can we, can we meet this week? <sighs> my nerves just go to their furthest end. Can anyone relate to that thought? When you get that text, and it's like, ah, I start to panic. So Jehoshaphat, we find him in chapter 20, uh, in chapter 20, in this place where his kingdom is experiencing peace and prosperity. It's all sunshine and lollipops until this happens. In verse 1, it says, the Moabites and the Ammonites, who are long-term enemies of the Israelites. The Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Muonites, who knows who those guys are, but it's trouble, come to wage war against Jehoshaphat. And so some people come to Jehoshaphat. I can picture him there in his kingdom. He's having lunch. Things are going well. He's enjoying it. There's a cool breeze like today, a gorgeous day. And some people run in and they say, Jehoshaphat! A vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. And Gedi is this beautiful little stream where beautiful lush landscaping grows alongside of it, right beside the Dead Sea. It's about an hour outside of Jerusalem if you drive slow. People come into the throne room. They're almost here. Jehoshaphat, the enemy is heading our way, and we're all going to die. Every panic begins with a problem, danger. And what happens when we sense danger? We have not just an emotional response to it, we have a physical response to danger. Our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, our brain wires start firing off and, and sparking and smoking and quickly we can find ourselves in a full-blown panic. Maybe it's because there are three enemy armies marching towards your front door. Maybe it's because of a five-word text you got on Tuesday afternoon. Our brains are funny. There's this little thing called the amygdala at the back of our brain that, that controls our response to danger. But the amygdala doesn't know a real danger from an imaginary danger. It responds the same way to three armies marching towards your front door or the house is on fire to uh, can we meet this week to talk. Responding to danger is always a good thing. We're designed to respond to danger. I'm thankful for the amygdala that helps me respond quickly to danger. But not everything requires the same response, right? That's why we have something at the front of our brain called the prefrontal cortex. And that part of the brain is logical and reasonable and says, hey, 
before we go nuts, let's just assess the situation. Let's, let's judge the problem and figure out what the right response is. The prefrontal cortex says, hey, you're not dead yet. So slow down and let's just process this in a healthy way. When the amygdala at the back of the brain and the prefrontal cortex at the front of the brain are working the way God intended it to work, then dangers and challenges are assessed and judged and then given their proper weight. But that takes time. Last week we looked at this idea of the power of a pause. And we looked at Joseph who was, was, was reintroduced to the very people who caused him deep trauma in his life. And if you, if you can think of someone in your life that has been responsible for some deep trauma, you can picture yourself in Joseph's position. And Joseph did something very powerful. He stopped and he paused and he allowed that experience to be reframed in a way that was reasonable and God-honoring, and his response then became reasonable and God-honoring. It was as God intended, working exactly as God intended. So let's go back to Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat is here enjoying his lunch. People come in, we're all going to die. And verse 3 says that Jehoshaphat was alarmed, which is a, a, a nice way of saying Jehoshaphat began to panic. Which is crazy, because if you know Jehoshaphat's story, and by the end of this morning you will, you will, you'll know that Jehoshaphat's story is one of continuing faithfulness to God and God's continuing faithfulness to him. If you look at chapter 17, you'll see where God establishes Jehoshaphat on his throne and amply provides for him, establishes his authority, and begins to prosper him. God is good to Jehoshaphat. In chapter 18, his commitment to God and, and uh, it enables him to even go into war and battle with a confidence, and he sees God protecting him miraculously in that battle. In chapter 19, he's, he's establishing judges and spiritual leaders in the, in the kingdom, and, and he's mentoring them, and he's leading them in God's truth. He's an amazing king. And yet, in chapter 20... Despite all of his experience with God, one little word can throw him into a panic, of, a spiraling panic. So when I, when, I, when I encounter a crisis, maybe you guys are like me, when I encounter a crisis, my response isn't always a good response. It's not always a healthy response. My natural response is to retreat and hide away. You want to talk about it? No, I do not want to talk about it. I want to go someplace, turn the lights off, and just pretend like it's not happening. Maybe go see a movie. Maybe go to Europe. You know, it's just, <laughs> just do something that I don't have to deal with the problem that's right here in front of me. Jehoshaphat, however, does something very healthy. Instead of running away or going into isolation like a lot of us want to do, Jehoshaphat instead um, resolves. Instead of retreating, he resolves. If you look at verse 3 and 4, you'll see that he resolves to do two things. The first is to invite God into this place of panic. And two, to invite others into this place of panic. 
Here's what it says. Alarmed, panicked, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. He he doesn't just call a few close friends. He calls everyone, come and join me in this place where I am spiraling out of control. God, come and be present here in this place where we are panicking. The natural thing is to retreat when we get anxious, but the supernatural response is to resolve to engage with God and with others. We need each other. So Jehoshaphat gathers with others to seek God, and they pray. At the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians, you remember last week we talked about Paul being in prison. He's in this cell. He's between two soldiers, chained. Um, but he's getting a chance to share the gospel there in that place. So at the end of this letter, as he's encouraging the Philippians, even in the midst of his own problem, his own crisis, he is still encouraging others. He says, listen, don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. And then you will experience God's peace. Tell him what you need. Thank him for what he's done, and then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And so, and so Jehoshaphat doesn't have the benefit of Paul's letter to the Philippians, but he knows instinctively the proper response to problems. He goes into prayer. He prays, and in the prayer, he gives thanks for God's power. He says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. You rule over the Ammonites and, and, the, and the Muonites, the Moabites. You rule over those nations. Power and might in your hand, and no one, no one can withstand you. And then in the prayer, he references God's faithfulness. He says, God, did you not drive out? All these guys before, all the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, you, you, you cleared it out and gave this land for us to the descendants of Abraham, who is your friend. God, you have been faithful. And then he invites God's presence into this. He says, we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. Now again, so far, all he has is the reports of these guys, and it set him off into a crazy space. We have no power. They did have plenty of power, but, but in his mind, he, he's not there. All he can imagine is absolutely the worst. We have no power for this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that. We don't know what to do, but you do. So give us your perspective. Reframe this so that we can see it from your perspective. Our eyes are on you. We are watching you. We're waiting on you. And after they prayed, someone speaks up. And I picture there in the, in, in that, in the, big, in the big assembly where all the people are gathered together from every town in Judah. And someone at the back raises their hand and says, <clears throat> uh, King Jehoshaphat. So I was like, uh, yeah, you, what? He goes, hey, 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 I got this word from God. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to us. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. 
I love the fact that some guy out there, just a faithful servant of God, a guy just like one of us, speaks truth into Jehoshaphat's anxious moment. And the truth is this. Yeah, Tim, it's scary, but, but God's got this, and he's going to do something amazing through it. So don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Just, just trust God because God is with you. So those of you who like alliterations, and I know some of you do, we have a couple of preachers at the 930 service that are used to writing sermons with, with phrases that start with the same letter. You know what I'm talking about. So I thought, I'm going to lean into this. Jason Filler at First Baptist would be so proud of me. So Jehoshaphat had a problem. Did you see it? A problem that caused a panic. But he responded with a pause and a prayer And God used a prophet to speak a promise. Okay, that deserves applause right there. That was pretty impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, thank you, thank you. And Jehoshaphat says, okay, 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 God's got this. Come tomorrow morning, and I'm going to share our plan. Show up in the morning, and I'll share what we're going to do. So everyone dismisses, go to their homes, uh, and I can't imagine they slept well that night, but the next morning they show up again. I picture them there up on the Temple Mount, walked around that place many times, and I picture them all up there. They show up with their, with their bows and their arrows and their, and their shields, their javelins. They got their armor on. They've got their faces painted with their war paint. And Jehoshaphat says, okay, <laughs> here's what maneuvers are going to look like this morning. I'm going to need the tenors over here, and I'm going to put the basses over here, and then baritones, you're going to take lead, and you're going to be in the middle. And the guys are looking at themselves and each other, like, uh, what? He goes, yeah, we're going we're gonna to divide up into our vocal parts. <laughs> The guy with the javelin says, uh, what am I going to do with this? He goes, hold on to it. Hold on to it. What part are you sing? He goes, uh, uh, I don't, I don't sing good. He goes, okay, well then you, you go to the back. <laughs> Just stay close, but we don't need you right now. The guy with the arrow says, so what about us? The guy says, hey, that's a tenor voice. I need you over here. The guy's looking at you, what in the world is going on? What is happening? Jehoshaphat has lost his brain. He is completely gone. He goes, no, 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 hold on, guys. Have faith, have faith. We're going to go into this battle in a different way. We're going to go into it with rejoicing. So he goes, we sang this song. Sonny, remember, guys? We sang this song from, from David's songs, uh, Psalm 106. He wrote this psalm. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. It's a great verse. It's a wonderful thing to remind ourselves of. And this is the, this is the verse we're going to take into battle with us. So I wrote a song for us, guys. Here's the song we're going to sing. So basses, here's how it goes. Give thanks to the Lord. And then the tenors go, his love endures forever. Basses, give thanks to the Lord. Baritone. 
crowns. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Sing it with me. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Stand up. We're going to sing it. We're going to have a little choir practice here. Stand up if you can stand up. If you can't stand up, that's all right, but you've got to sing regardless. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Sing a little louder. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. If you know a harmony, sing it out. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. You can be seated. Good job. You're ready to go out into battle. There was a problem that caused a panic, but they paused and prayed, and a prophet with a promise stood up and, 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 and spoke, this, spoke this word from God, and, and Jehoshaphat's like, I got a plan, and the plan was praise. And so singing that song, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. They march down the steps from the Temple Mountain through the Eastern Gate, and they're standing there on the ridge overlooking the Jezreel Valley, and they're singing the song, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And they start marching down the hill, and marching down the hill is as hard as marching up it because their calves and their thighs are just burning, and they're trying to sing and keep their footing on the steep hillside, and they get to the valley, and they're still singing, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And they look up and they got to march up that big steep hill that is now known as the Mount of Olives. And they're marching up the hill and you're trying to sing and march at the same time. It's kind of hard. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. But they're not alone because at the back, Everyone that's been assembled there, wives and mothers and young kids are sitting on the, on, the, on, the, on the walls around the Temple Mount, and they're singing out, give thanks to the Lord for his love. And, and that whole valley is filled with this singing and this praise, and they get to the top on the Mount of Olives, they look back and they do one last wave to their wives as they're singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love, and then they march off towards the east and towards the, the Dead Sea to their fate. Whatever God has determined, that should be. But while they're singing their praises to God, God is doing something. It says in verse 22 that as they begin to sing and praise, and I believe that started happening just as soon as Jehoshaphat said, hey, I've written this song for you guys to learn. As they start singing, the Bible says God is working. And God is working over towards the Dead Sea. As they begin to sing and praise, verse 22 says, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. One verse, one verse. God said ambushes, they were defeated. Now you might say, well, I'm going to need a little bit more information. How did that happen? And the archivist uh, who was writing this second book of Chronicles says, well, here's how it happened. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped destroy one another. God set the ambush. 
before Jehoshaphat finished choir practice. So when Jehoshaphat and his men show up at the battle, can you picture them? Can you picture them? They're still there. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And they get to the ridge and they're looking out over the valley. They're like, give thanks to the Lord. What? What is in front of them is not a vast army arrayed for battle, preparing to destroy them, but a vast army utterly and eternally defeated, destroyed. The thing that terrified them, the thing that filled their minds with anxiety, in the end amounted to nothing. Jehoshaphat says, guys, uh, I guess you can... I guess you can take what you need. So it took three days, they said. They loaded up on equipment, armor, clothing from the dead soldiers around them. They went out stronger than they went in. They went out more equipped than they were when they went in. And then after the third day of, of, of acquiring all this provision that God had miraculously provided, they go to a place called the Valley of Barakah. I think I got a picture of that. Where they praised the Lord. This was the site of a worship service, an incredible worship service, where they raised their hallelujah in the presence of, well, the former presence of the enemy. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now, my favorite part is still yet to come. Because remember who's standing on the battlements waving them off? trying to put a smile on their face, waving them with courage, saying, it's going to be great. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As soon as the last soldier goes over the hillside, the women and children turn and go back to their lives. And for four days, they live in this uncertain spot. Day one, Miriam is rocking her baby and she's singing to him, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. She goes, thank you, Lord, for Isaac. Please keep him safe and bring him home to us safe and sound. On day two, old Rivka is sitting by the fire and she's knitting a blanket for, for Levi. And she goes, oh, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Oh, God, please watch over Levi, who is old and slow. Take care of him. Day three, Sarah is so tired because she's not sleeping. She spends her nights looking up at the ceiling, thinking about her betrothed, Nathan. She prays, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Please take care of Nathan. Day four, Abigail's working in her garden, and she's giving thanks to the Lord for his love and its endurance. She says, whatever may pass and whatever lies before, let me be singing let me be singing when we get the news. And then day five, and Leah is mixing bread. I picture her there in the kitchen looking out the window at the city gates, desperately praying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever, singing with as much courage as she can muster, give thanks to the Lord for his love. And then she hears in the distance, his love endures forever. It's like, give thanks to the Lord, and then a little louder, 
His love endures forever. She watch, watches out the window and she sees some other women coming to the door. So she goes to the door and they, and they start walking down the street and they hear it coming towards them. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And louder, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And then, and then, and then Miriam sees Isaac coming through the gate and he's singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And then one by one, each one of them come in. Those who had marched out the city gate come marching back into the city. And every woman and mother and sweetheart is, is looking for their, their boy. Isaac, Asher, Caleb, old Levi, and young Nathan, and Samuel, and Ariel, and Noam, and Itan. And all of them are home. Everyone that marched out was returned safe and sound. And together, the scriptures say, they marched into Jerusalem and went straight to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets, all the while singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And there on the front row now in the worship center is Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat means Yahweh has judged. And when we think about how we face crises, and troubles in our lives, remembering the name Jehoshaphat, I think changes everything. Because God has already assessed the situation that you're in. God has already weighed and measured it. God has judged it and determined to use what the devil means for evil. He intends to use it for good in your life, just like he did for Joseph. God has judged it and determined it beneficial for his glory and for your good. So when we, when we encounter situations that spiral us into this panic mode, instead of, instead of retreating, we resolve. We resolve to bring God into it. We resolve to bring others into it because this is going to be a moment where we hear from God, we experience God, and we have others in our lives to share it. You see, when our eyes are on our problems, we miss God's presence. But when our eyes are on God, we experience his power. And not just us, but other people experience that as well. The scripture says that the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. The kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Romans 8, 6, 8, 6 says, The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. And we want our minds and our lives controlled by the Spirit, don't we? To experience that life and peace. We're going to share in a time of communion. So if you're helping with that, you can go ahead and, and get ready. But to, to frame communion this morning, I want to go back to, to Paul, who's there in prison, chained between those two guards, sharing the gospel. And he says to the Philippians, listen, the outcome of my certain circumstances is, is uncertain in the short frame. But in the long frame, I have every confidence that God is using this for his glory and my good. He says, for me to live... That's Christ. For me to die, that's gain. The eternal outcome has been determined and judged by God. I can rejoice 
in the Lord always, he says. I can rejoice in the Lord always because I am confident in God. As we come to communion, the call to rejoice is particularly sweet for Christians, for those who have trusted Jesus with their salvation. Because we can rejoice in his blessings and we can rejoice in our suffering and we can rejoice that he's using everything for his glory and his good. We rejoice that he protects us, that he never abandons us. And in this moment, we rejoice that we have received a gracious gift of salvation. Isaiah said, though our sins were scarlet, they are now washed white as snow. That old prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for the promise of your presence with us. I am so thankful that my own own problems and crises that oftentimes I create myself are no match for your goodness and your grace. Father, as we take the cup and the bread, we remind ourselves again of your goodness to us in finding us in our place of despair and hopelessness and bringing hope and life to us through Jesus. Though our sins were scarlet, we are now white as snow. And we can rest in the confidence that comes from knowing that we belong to you. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever and ever and ever and ever. We say amen and amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.